I'm Chris Turner, and this is Tapestry's Empowered to Connect podcast. Joining me once again on the podcast are Ryan and Kayla North. Hey, Chris. Hello, Christopher. Hi, guys. Last time we talked, we started talking about empowering principles and Mm -hmm. why those are important for our kids. And kind of in response to that, we did get a question from a listener. Ask away. So Hannah says, my husband and I are going through the podcasts and something towards the end of season two, episode 22, which was the Navigating the Holidays episode, okay. that stood out to me. I can't remember which person's kiddo this was, but when one of your children stomped a gift at Christmas, oh, how did you handle it in that moment? Poorly. <laughs> yes, not well. I yelled, don't stomp on any toys. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because we didn't handle it very well in the moment. Mm. And I wish I could go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. You want to do over. I would like a do over, mm. but I can't get one in that case. It was, it was many years ago, but um, I think our initial reaction was embarrassment mm-hmm. because the gift giver was right there when right. it happened. And the gift giver was quite upset about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think our reaction was a little bit in response to that reaction almost. Yeah, I don't think you have to de-identify the gift giver because we already told everybody. It was, Did we it was say? your parents. Okay. In, in the episode, we were over at my in-law's house. And mm-hmm. so um, I think there was a little bit of, you know, when your kids misbehave at home, you're like, it's one level of response, but when they misbehave yeah. in the grocery store, you have a different level of response. Right. Yeah. You want and, and when it's in front of family, then it's even a different level of yeah, response, Yeah, then it was in front of your parents. I mean, depending parents on the relationship or, or whatever, yeah. because you want, because in that moment, you need them to feel like you have control of the situation. Right. Right. And so it, it's very complicated, but yeah, we did not respond well. That's a very long way to say we didn't respond well. <laughs> what are you doing may have came out of my mouth at high volume. So over the years, we've learned to do better. Um, I don't have to quote my Angelou again, but I'm going to <laughs> do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect example of us uh, doing the best we could at the time. But now that we know better, I think that we are able to. We don't always, but I think that we are at least equipped to do better. Well, I think gift giving is a hard one, too, um, in a lot of ways. Like we had another one of our kiddos that um, didn't receive gifts very well. Mm-hmm. when she was younger and so she would get a gift and it could have been what she was asking for like every day leading up to her birthday and then she'd open it and she'd be like that's not what I really wanted and put it down and walk away mm. and this was like I don't know, she was what three four maybe yeah she wasn't very old wasn't very old I remember when you when you made her practice before her birthday party <laughs> like yeah. she, she wrapped up um, she put bows and wrapping paper on like um you know, the sponges that you use in the kitchen to wash the wipe cameras and wash dishes with. <laughs> we sat on the kitchen floor that morning and had her practice opening the sponges and having good reactions. So practicing outside of the moment, which is a legitimate strategy. And uh, she did really well. I remember that. I remember like uh, thinking, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. She had these really perfect reactions. Like they were, like they were, like they were practiced. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, be, and I don't, know that we ever pinpointed what it was other than birthdays are stressful for our kids mm. and birthdays can be reminders of loss and things like that and so um, the same thing as Christmas right and I think that's 
our little guy that stomped on the radio control car, it was because of, I think it was his, maybe even his first Christmas it, with it us. It was his first Christmas with yeah, us. Yeah, first Christmas with us. And it was, so we didn't realize that was going to be his reaction. We hadn't had any other kids react like that to a gift before. Mm-hmm. And I think it was frustration because he couldn't get it to do exactly what he wanted it to. Like he was really excited initially mm. and then like it didn't do exactly what he wanted. And so he just crunched it. Right. Or maybe he didn't do exactly what he was expecting. Or maybe we, today. yeah, it might've been that yeah. very well could have that, been. That, that, actually that's pretty, that's pretty insightful because if I describe the gift, most people um, will, will remember, will, will think of it. It's one of those, um, about the size of, um, of like a little smaller than a football. And it's got, the f- small front wheel it's got really large back wheels mm-hmm. and then it's got what looks like one of those shark fin antennas and it's got a wheel on that so you can like flip it over and then we right. oh, you've seen these yes we've well, had these in our house yes yeah, so yes. I, I have he, boys I think he was expecting it to just go like forwards backwards left and right but this thing was going nuts <laughs> was it was like rolling and he couldn't figure out how to get it to not do that yeah. and the irony of all of it is that every year since that Christmas, somebody in our family has given him one of those toys. And I don't think they've, they've like, cons- uh, there's like four of them in our garage. Yes. We've got so many of those darn exact things. Same thing. <laughs> yes. But I think for him, it was, it was, it wasn't doing exactly what he expected it to do. It wasn't doing exactly, he couldn't get it to do exactly what he wanted it to do. And then that combined with all the emotions he was already feeling, he mm-hmm. just didn't have anything in, left in him to control that reaction. Um, he tends to be a kid that kind of flips his lid pretty easily anyways. Mm-hmm. And so he just completely lost it. And then, of course, he was sad because he didn't have a toy to play with because, right. I mean, it's Christmas Day. You're not going to the store to get a new toy, right. you know, whatever. But he... Um, he just couldn't control his emotions in that moment. And probably what we should have done, what he needed us to do was to prior to opening gifts, we probably should have prepared him a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but also we probably should have been there helping him with the gift and helping him learn how to use the gift Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, we just wanted to kind of sit back and enjoy just everybody playing with their toys or whatever. And I think that was the, not being proactive in the moment. Mm. Um, and we can say it's because we didn't know him very well and we didn't know. I mean, now we know the situations that are going to stress him out and we practice ahead of time. And so, um, but he'd been in our family for, you know, more than six months at that point. So right. we did know him pretty well. Would you say that in that kind of situation, you said that you could tell he was frustrated. Would you Would you say that he didn't have the vocabulary to express what he needed to express and that kind of compounded on that frustration and led to the stomping of the toy? I would actually say that a little bit differently and say that in hindsight, we re- recognize that he was frustrated. Oh, yeah. yeah, we certainly didn't. That's what I meant. No, like no, now I, no, I understand. Yeah, but say that. just kind of just want to be clear on that because there was no way I recognized that in that, in that moment at all. Yeah. Um, because I, what it looked like was just that he was mad and just stomped a toy and didn't appreciate what he'd been given and you know i mean it just yeah we didn't understand the why we didn't understand right. the why yeah well the reason i asked that is because the second part of hannah's question was as i'm beginning to understand tbri i am better recognizing my son's behavior as an expression of a need but how do you pinpoint it when they don't have the vocabulary needed to articulate it mm, i think that requires you to be move from vigilant to hypervigilant 
It requires you to be really, really attentive. It requires you to be really, really proactive because because when the kid doesn't have the words, mm-hmm. you have to anticipate. And and this goes back to something we say almost every episode. You need to be the world's leading expert in your child, mm-hmm. and you have to be so attuned to them um, that that you can anticipate these things and you can know, like like we didn't know at the time that gift giving on Christmas was going to be so traumatic for our son. Mm. We have come to understand over the years that Christmas is just a difficult day for him mm. for, for a myriad of reasons that we discussed in the episode last December. So I think I'll always go back to that, be the world's leading expert in your kid because you have to, you have to be able to, you know, and, and so some of the things we've spoken about before is, is how do you get proactive how do you train yourself mm-hmm. to react better in that situation? Because it's, I know we all like to think that, that watching Brazil's play soccer is just, oh, it's just like dancing with the ball. Well, they work really, really hard at practice to make it look like they're dancing with right. the ball, right? And I think parenting's like that too, that a bunch of people that look like they're really gifted at the connected parenting stuff, a bunch of people who appear to be very intuitive in connected parenting are the people who are reading all the books who are going to all the right events and listening to all the right people and really investing and, and honing and developing the skill at home Mm -hmm. so that when the moment where, I mean, that's, that's why you practice when you're in a sports team or or an individual sport, because when the moment arrives, you have to be able to deliver, Mm -hmm. right? That's the difference between great athletes who win championships and people who don't is that when the pressure is on, they deliver, and parents have to be that way. So, um, you know, we, Kayla mentioned that she thinks that part of his frustration that, that evening was that um, he expected the car to do something else mm-hmm. than what it was actually doing. And um, I thought, you know, that's really true for parenting, too. If we will manage our expectations of our children, right, then then we will avoid... I know that when I manage my expectations of my children, I find that my frustration level does not rise as, mm. as easily as it can. Um, anyhow, so any thoughts on, on, on managing expectations or a good story that I can't think of in this minute to drive the point home? <laughs> well, I think when we, when we set our expectations properly for our kids, so when we think about that a lot of our kids are half their chronological age, and we set our expectations accordingly, then we can help our kids to succeed in those moments, right? Because um, if I'm talking about a six-year-old, well, how would I expect a three-year-old to react in the Mm. moment and prepare accordingly? And then if they do better than that, then I'm, you know, pleasantly surprised. (laughs) But if they don't, then I'm understanding that I have set my expectation properly. And then increasing it gently over time to, you know, just raising the bar up a little bit. We don't want to have too low of expectations for our kids Mm -hmm. and that they never are challenged, but we also want to make sure that we keep the expectations at a level that is achievable, that they can be successful at. We need to be realistic on either end of that scale. Yes. Yes, for sure. Well, I mean, we like to think of it as building a staircase. Instead of just saying, okay, there's that wall, you need to climb over that wall. Mm. But rather thinking in terms of, okay, let's let's incrementally build a staircase. And um, I think one of the reasons a lot of people struggle with that is because there is no, um, behavior is not an on-demand. 
device, right. right? You can watch TV on demand. Like we, we literally, other than sporting events, do not watch anything live in our home. Um, and this, this, this sort of permeates your thinking. And so we want our children to comply now. Mm. We want our children to behave better now. It's the microwave syndrome, right? Yeah, you know, and, and it just doesn't happen. You know, I think that microwave, a lot of people think that microwave popcorn is one of the best inventions of the 20th century. I think it's the worst <laughs> because it feeds that, that, I, that, that on-demand attitude. You know, I think we've actually spoken on, on the podcast before about how, how Apple ruined the world with iTunes. <laughs> you know, um, you only have to deal with the thing. You only have to buy the songs you really like. You only have to deal with the things you really want. You don't have to go to the store. You just open a flip open your, your laptop and download it, and it's yours immediately. Or, or just tap your phone now. Or just tap so. your phone, yeah. yeah. I sounded like really, really old. There. <laughs> you just sound really old. Flip open your like, laptop. I mean, come People on, are listening man. to this going, you download music to your computer? <laughs> Can Have you, you heard of Spotify? <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> and so we, we, we require this, this compliance of our children. And, and you know, when we, um, when we do kind of like intervention type stuff with families, we always remind them, hey, um, maybe we should just revisit how we're doing like a year from now. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's enough of a distance that you can get a little bit of a clear picture on what we're doing in terms of healing and progress. But people are like, oh, well, today wasn't any different than yesterday. And they're really, really frustrated that today wasn't any different than yesterday. Mm-hmm. And our response is always the same. Yeah. If you really think that today is going to be vastly improved in terms of long term relational healing, you're going to have unmet expectations and unmet expectations always, always Leads to frustration. Right. We need to remember it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. And I think we lose sight of that. And it's really hard to keep sight of that for all the reasons we just went into a minute ago. I I know it's, you know, when I lose it because I I have unrealistic expectations of my kids' behavior, that's exactly what I'm losing sight of. I I want the sprint, right? Yep. And yeah, I lose sight that it's a marathon and we just have to keep going every day, like you said. Yeah. Well, and behaviors happen at the most inconvenient times too, right? I mean, like, <laughs> let's just face it. It's, it's not that you're just sitting there doing nothing and all of a sudden a meltdown occurs and you think, oh, Fortunately, I have three hours to commit to this child and I'm going to stay with them all of the time. Fortunately, I was just sitting here watching my nails dry. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, 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 yeah, I mean, they, they happen. Cup of coffee, right? Yes. They happen at the time when you have five minutes and you need to get everybody in bed because. Or out the door. Or out the door right. or whatever. Are we fessing up that, that a lot of, a lot of times transitions are hard? Well, yes. That's oh, good. yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's what you said without saying it, that the transitions right. are, are a trigger point. So, um, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Kayla, but before we get too deep into your story there, let's, let's tag that as, as another way to, to manage yourself and, and respond well to your child's Managing transitions. Is managing transitions. Right. Well, I'm being proactive. I think that's, I think that's always, we tend to be reactive to behavior mm-hmm. and the more we can be proactive to behavior, I think the less we have to react to the behavior. Right. So if I make sure that I'm giving my kids regular snacks and keeping them well hydrated. If I make sure that I prepare them for transitions, if I make sure that when there's something that's stressful, that I am practicing outside of the moment, if I do those things, then I have less behavior to react to. Mm -hmm. 
I was, um, I met with a mom today and she was struggling with one of her kiddos. And I said, what do you think is you know the biggest struggle? And it was hard to really pinpoint what the biggest struggle was, but it was just a lot of little things, you mm-hmm. know, and not being able to kind of keep his attention and get him to focus and be serious about anything was kind mm-hmm. of one of the things. And so I said, well, you know, as we started talking about it, I said, well, can you, can you pinpoint when these things are happening uh-huh. and maybe we can be a little more proactive. And as she started thinking about it, she was like, well, it is kind of, you know, when we start to do schoolwork and it is kind of, and she could see a few things already mm-hmm. that were triggers. Um, and she said, well, you know, I really want to make sure that he learns these skills to be able to be in social situations mm-hmm. and not, you know, act all crazy or whatever. But, and that wasn't exactly her words, but you know what I mean? She, she said, I want him to be able to make friends and be socially, have socially acceptable behaviors. And I said, well, the thing you have to remember is he's got a lot of coping skills. And before you can take away his coping skills, you need to replace them mm-hmm. with more appropriate coping skills. Right. right. So I said, so, so being a detective and seeing what are the things that he is struggling with and then proactively giving him the tools that he needs is going to cut down on a lot of those behaviors. You know, he had a lot of anxiety and so would act a little crazy whenever he'd go into a room with new people or whatever. And I said, well, so you have to say to him, you have to figure out what is it, what are the situations that strike up that anxiety you know what are the situations that make his anxiety spike and then before you go into those situations have a little conversation and give him a tool and say Mm -hmm. now remember if you're feeling a little stressed out i want you to come and hold my hand and we'll take a walk into the other room Mm -hmm. or i want you to come over and i have headphones in my pocket and i can put them over your ears if it's getting too loud you know or whatever i mean you just making sure you have those things in in place. And she's like, Oh, that's a great idea because she said, I know I want him to stop doing these things, Mm -hmm. but now I have to replace them because I can't just take away his only coping mechanisms. It's interesting. You talk about taking away coping mechanisms and not replacing them. Um, Coping mechanisms are so intuitive to all of us, but we don't make the connection uh, between how they're now intuitive to us as adults but our kids haven't developed them yet, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, A, we either don't pay attention, that's probably true, mostly true for me, or B, we just assume that people come wired with coping mechanisms. But think about the things you do, like um, like people on airplanes. You'll notice that a lot of them, I know I've flown with both of you before, and we all three do it. As soon as we're in our seats, we put our headphones on because we don't want to deal with what's happening on it. It allows you to put a little bit of distance between you and the reality of what's going on. Or if your sports team loses, like you bury your, your face in your hands. <laughs> well, I mean, you're getting that, that's pressure, that's pressure input, right, into you, and so it's helping you cope. Or when you're, like, really struggling with something, people like, put their finger across their, their top lip, like, you know, like it looks like Magic a Magic mustache. Yeah, that's what it looks like, right? But we have all of these things that we do, like um, if you're sitting too long, you'll sort of like tapping your feet or, or you'll doodle. And so we have these things that, that we have developed over time, but we don't recognize we need to develop them in our children. I think that's a responsibility that a parent has is that you have to recognize that kids do not come hard baked with coping mechanisms. They come hard baked with the ability to develop them. Mm-hmm. And we have to give them the tools they need because, hey, sometimes it's just 
you know, we've spoken about this before, the kid who wouldn't stay in Sunday school and his dad said, because he's really anxious about his dad leaving, and his dad said, well, if I leave my car keys with you, mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it is these little things that, that provide the sense of security, felt safety, you know, whatever the terminology that people want to use or are familiar with. Obviously, we say felt safety most, but we as the parents have to develop these skills in our children in order um, to help them cope with the situations and then have um, the behaviors that we desire. And we don't just desire the behaviors because we want compliance. We desire the good behaviors because it's evidence of healing. Our kids do have coping skills. They're just not usually socially appropriate. Right. You know, I mean, that's the thing is they go to their fear response mm-hmm. and they do either what helped them survive if they came to us, especially at a at a later age, if they came to us a little bit older and they really had to survive on their own, right? you know, then those are really, they're not just coping skills, they're survival skills. That's what I was just thinking of when you started saying that was that, yeah, yeah, it's good. Based on what Ryan just said about our need to be proactive and help and help them develop those coping skills. Well, if there wasn't an adult around to do that, they've already developed their own. Like you just said, Mm -hmm. it's more of a survival skill. Yeah especially the younger they are when they have to do those things on their own. Yeah. And so we cannot just get rid of that. Take them away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, the, so that, that's a really good distinction between survival skill and coping mechanism because the survival skill, obviously, as, as the word suggests, is about self-preservation, mm-hmm. which generally manifests itself in terms of building a wall. Mm. Right? The coping mechanism is a much healthier way to process the situation because it doesn't um, automatically force distance because part of that survival strategy for kids who are hurt in relationships is to push you away. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, those survival skills, because some of our kids sadly learned before their third birthday that if I'm going to make it through this life, I can only depend upon myself. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of conflict, we being parents, not just specifically the two of us, but, but all parents have conflict with our kids because we're like, oh, I. You're safe in our family. You're secure in our family. You belong in our family. We love you. We adore you. And the kid's like, yeah, but you're an adult. Mm-hmm. I don't trust adults. And that is so hurt. I mean, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's, it's hard. It is hurtful for parents when that kid that you're just loving and loving and loving just push keeps you at arm distance. But their life experience has taught them that you need to keep adults at arm's distance because sometimes, sooner or later, they will hurt you in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Well, I think that's where the whole trust of trust-based parenting comes into effect. And, you know, kind of like that's why it's the first word in DBRI is because you have to have that foundation of trust to be able to move that relationship Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is really hurtful when they are keeping you at arm's distance, but you just have to keep plugging away every day to build that trust and get the distance shorter and shorter and shorter. Sure. It's like, remember those old... Uh, World War Two posters um, that, that were around London during during the air raids and made a comeback a few years ago. The keep mm. calm and carry on posters. Yes. Well, David Cross has a version of that, and it basically says, "If not you, then who?" Right. Which I think is is the is is one of the more compelling questions of parenting. If I'm not going to hang in here with this kid, and I'm not going to invest the hour, two hours, three hours. Kelly can tell some stories sometimes <laughs> of those things. Um, then who? Mm-hmm. Because one of the ways, one of the many, many ways you build trust with the kids is when they learn, oh my gosh, this person hangs in there with me 
and this person sees sees us through this difficult valley together, right? Because mm. it's that together. It's right. all the T words that come conspire. But is that togetherness that over time um, the children learn to trust because of that? Oh, because our our kids were wounded in relationship, and that's how they're going to get healing. Right. Is in the context of relationship. And um, one of the things that Kurt Thompson said, um, I went to his shame workshop. It was great. It was really, really good. And he said so many good things. I took like 14 pages of notes. Um, she might be underselling, by the way. I might <laughs> be underselling. I'm not sure. In multiple t- colors with different color flags. I, I mean, I, I had little stickers and multiple colors. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. And, um, but one of the things he said is healing is always disruptive and often has side effects you don't want. Mm. And I thought it was so good because I'm like, you know, our kids were, were wounded and they were wounded in relationship and we're helping our kids come to a place of healing, but it's not always pretty. No. And, and the way you go about it is messy mm-hmm. and sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And sometimes there are more disruptions. We had um, a couple of our kiddos that started play therapy again. Mm. You know, they one had been in play therapy before and had kind of taken a break and kind of went back and behaviors have gotten worse since we started, but I know that's because healing is happening. Yeah. And I know that's because progress is being made, but it's so hard because healing is not, it's not always pretty. It's like a right? two, two steps forward, one step back kind of yeah. Yeah. process. We yeah. talked about this the other day is, is that it is tangible now um, that, that, you know, when, when that trust gap, as you called it earlier, Chris narrows, that invariably you're going to see some level of um, worse behavior mm. because one of the outcomes of the child feeling safer with you right. is they're able to be themselves and, and not suppress their feelings and to, to, to voice their emotions. So, mm. um, yeah. So look on the bright side, parents. The more your children trust you, the more they might be acting out <laughs> at, at some point. Yeah. Because, because I think what yeah, we, that's a good thing. Cause what we forget though, is we see the other side right. of the Valley and we're like, we need to go to the other side. And then we tend to lose sight of the fact that because we're looking to the place we want to be, that we have to go through the through Valley it, right. to get to the other side. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's sobering. It might even be depressing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it at least is sobering yeah. to remember that, um, that you got to hang in there because it's like David said, if not you, then who? And you have to do all of the detective work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hannah, we hope we have helped you somewhat. Hope, hope we helped somebody <laughs> else other than just Hannah. Well, that, that too. But I wanted to address Hannah since it was her question yes. that we used. Thank as you, a Hannah. Yes. Point. yes, that's a good point. And, Chris, how did Hannah get that question to us? Uh, she posted it on our Tapestry Facebook page. Is that something that other people can do, and Kayla? Was that just because... <laughs> Does Hannah have a secret code? No, anybody can do that. Now we do have to approve it, so I mean, it has to be appropriate. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you can find us on on Facebook at Tapestry IBC, which also happens to be our Twitter handle. And if you have something that will fit into 140 characters and you're more comfortable on that platform, please feel free to tweet it to us. If you need a little bit more room than Twitter or Facebook will provide, you can always email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. So if you don't want to ask us a question anywhere and just want to listen to the podcast, you could subscribe to it in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. 
If you've enjoyed and gotten value from these podcasts, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empowered to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check the show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, tapestryministry.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.